It is indeed good to be with you again. And uh, as I was contemplating what to share today, my um, mind was thinking about um, various things associated with Advent and with the uh, incarnation of our Lord and Savior. And God kept bringing my mind to someone who uh, I would say is a relatively unsung hero of the Christmas story. Um, and that is Joseph, the husband of Mary. Um, now, I, I remember um, one particular film I watched where they were doing a Christmas pageant and one of the kids said, I'm the hero of the story, I'm Joseph. And one of the other kids said, you're not really that much of a hero. It's the Virgin Mary. But um, but the, the fact of the matter is that Joseph actually was a hero. He was much more than just a stand-in um, and much more than just someone who is a prop in a nativity scene. In fact, Joseph was a very godly man who God deliberately chose to be the guardian and earthly father of his son. And um, I can only imagine what it must have felt like to receive that commission. Um, but as we will see, um, Mary and Joseph were rightly matched because they both had the same reaction to God's commands to them, to God's message to them, to God's directive to them. Their, their response was, let it be according to your word. And so, as we consider this passage, I would have you turn to Matthew chapter 1, and as you're turning there, I will go ahead and open our meeting in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that as we would, um, would open your word, as we would seek your face this morning, that you would be ever-present and ever helpful that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves which is to illumine the very words of God Lord you say in your word that the cross is to them that perish foolishness but to those that believe it is the power of God and so we as believers ask for you to show us your power through your word this morning and if there be anyone here that is not yet a believer, I pray that today would be the day. For as Paul said, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, because tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Today. And so we pray your blessing upon your word, knowing that it will not return to us void. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright. Um, so... The first thing that we read about Joseph is that he was a just man. And so the first point that I have in Joseph, the unsung hero of Christmas, is that Joseph was a godly pursuer and tender applier of truth. This was a man that understood the law of God and sought to follow it. Of course, we know 
from studying the books of the law and from studying the actions of the Israelites, that no one was able to completely fulfill the law because we're not perfect. But we know from here that Joseph uh, was attempting to live his life in a godly manner. Let's read um, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 to begin. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minder, minded to put her away privily or privately. Now there's a couple significant things here. First of all, we find that it was before Joseph and Mary came together. Now could God have made Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit after they came together? Yes, conceivably he could. However, it needed to be clear to everyone that Jesus' existence, Jesus' life, if you will, did not begin in the womb of Mary. As a matter of fact, Jesus was eternally existent. He was and is and is to come, as it says in Revelation. It says that in Proverbs that he was there at creation, um, it talks about in Proverbs chapter 30, who laid the heavens and put the oceans in their place. What is his name and what is his son's name if you know it? See, the writer of the Proverbs knew that God had a son, even though he had as yet not been manifested to his people. So Jesus was existent long before that baby in a manger. So what happened at that conception? What happened is that the God who transcends time stepped down into time and became human for you and for me. And he didn't do it in this fancy royal castle. He didn't do it to great fanfare. As a matter of fact, he probably went through his early life on into his adult life with suspicions of infidelity on the part of one or both of his parents. Or, or um, on ungodly intimacy on the part of one or both of his parents. See, from a human perspective, there's only two ways to understand this. Either Mary stepped out on Joseph before they consummated their marriage, or Joseph was with her um, before the time, out of the proper bonds of marriage. That was the human understanding. And this is what Joseph is comprehending in these first couple verses. He's saying, something's off here. I had all these great plans. I'm going to marry this woman, and we're going to raise a family. We're going to have be a godly example to them, and we're going to do all these things. As as I read in a, in a book about the people of Christmas, it said he probably didn't have the same dreams we have. He probably it probably was much different from the American dream. The culture was much different, but just like any of us, he had the vision of how he thought his life was going to go, and in a split second of time, 
Mary comes to him and says, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. But please believe me, Joseph. I've been faithful to you. And Joseph obviously has doubts. Who wouldn't? But we see even in his doubts, his tenderness and his godliness. Because Joseph, her husband, said, it says that he was a just man and he wasn't willing to make her a public example, so he wanted to put her away privately. You see, there were two different ways that you could deal with the issue. You could have what was probably the most popular option, which was a public stoning. That was the response to adultery. In those days. Generally of both parties. That's one of the interesting and kind of confusing things about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. They never talk about the guy. Which is probably one of the things that Jesus was judging at that moment. When he said, let him who is without stone, without sin, cast the first stone. But... And then there was a second way. You could go before a magistrate or a judge and give her a paper of divorce and it would only go between you and a couple witnesses. And then, yes, she probably wouldn't be able to marry again, but at least she wouldn't be publicly embarrassed. And she'd probably live with her parents for the rest of their lives. And they would sustain her. They would take care of her. And all would be done. But one thing that is interesting about Joseph is that he doesn't say, Oh, Mary told me 24 hours ago that she's pregnant. Now I want this divorce. I want it to be over. No, it says in verse 20, in fact, that he pondered things. That he didn't make a quick, rash decision. How often is it for you and I that we make quick rash decisions I don't know about you but I have I have done that sometimes to my peril the Bible says in Proverbs he who answers a matter before he heareth it the same is a folly and a shame to him so what if we noticed about Joseph in these first two verses. First we've noticed he's a just man. Second we've noticed that he is a compassionate man. You know, Jesus he deals with sin. I think this is something that gets uh, misunderstood in the modern interpretation of Jesus, we say, well, Jesus, God is love. So we don't want to condemn sin, we don't want to talk about sin, we don't want to flee sin, because God will just accept you the way you are. But what did, God, what did Jesus say to everybody that he forgave their sins? He said, go and sin no more. 
You see, if he just told the woman caught in adultery, go your way, no one condemns you, and he didn't say go and sin no more, then it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't mean anything. So you see, when you encounter Jesus, a changed life has to be the result. I think also the lame man at the pool of Bethsaida and most of the people that Jesus healed, he never points to a sin in their life. But if you pay very close attention to Matthew or to John chapter 5, you'll find that as the story goes on, after Jesus heals the man, he comes and finds him after he's walking around rejoicing. And he says this to him. He says, Go your way and sin no more, lest a worse thing befall you. So the implication there to me is he did something foolish that caused his paralysis. And Jesus is saying, change your life so that this change that I made will stick. And of course, we can't do that without the Spirit of God. We can't do that without a focus on God. This is what Joseph had. He had a one-track mind to the things of God. I wonder if we might look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Somebody gets it, if they could read it for me, that would be awesome. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And so this is a significant thing. Jesus was coming to bring truth. He was coming to redeem us from the law because the liar, Satan, has been telling us since the Garden of Eden that you know better than God how to live your life. And then the law showed us that we couldn't. So then what was the answer? The answer was Jesus Christ. But it's kind of interesting that he comes in a way that seems counterintuitive to the law. Because Joseph, as a follower of the law, says, I cannot marry this woman knowing what I know. But I don't want her to die. I still care for her. I believe Joseph cared for Mary greatly. And he didn't understand what was going on, but he did not want to make her a public spectacle. But his dedication to the truth and to following God's commands will be evident as we continue to go on. I found this little poem that says, Since truth is always true, and only true can be, keep me, O Lord, as true to truth, as truth is true to thee. I think that's an important thing for us because What's one of the modern phrases that we hear today? Live your truth. Whatever your truth is, 
live that. Be true to yourself. The problem with that is there is no standard then. We need to realize that God's word is truth. Jesus said it himself to his father when he was praying for us. Before he died, he said, your word is truth. But the book of John says that Jesus was the word made flesh who dwelt among us. That's why Jesus was able to say with the same confidence, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. So, our second point is that Joseph patiently pondered his actions. Again, we kind of already talked about this a little bit, but how much, how much we would be served better if we thought through our actions before we did that. It's so very important for us to do that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. Matthew 1, 20 to 23, and they read as follows. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You know, I've often thought about the fact that when Jesus made appearances to people after his resurrection, he only made appearances to people to whom it would matter. He didn't cast his pearls before swine. In my little kid head, I used to say, well, if Caiaphas condemned him and Pilate put him to death, why didn't he go back to them after he rose from the dead? And say, look, you couldn't keep me in the grave. But he didn't because he appeared to those, he reached out to those who he knew would accept him. There are passages in the scriptures and the gospels that say he went into places and he did not do much healing there because he knew their hearts and no one needed to tell him the hearts of man because he knows the heart of every man. He knew the heart of every person in this Christmas story that we are unfolding and he knew that they would accept what he said. One interesting thing I heard this morning as I was preparing to come here, my dad was watching another sermon about Joseph, which kind of confirms to me that it's important to talk about Joseph. 
And the point was made that in the Bible, in the few mentions of Joseph there is, you never see Joseph utter a word. There's no quotes from Joseph in the Bible. However, God speaks to Joseph multiple times, and every time Joseph says, Yes, Lord, I will do it. And you never see the quote, Yes, Lord, I will do it. But by his actions, he shows, Yes, Lord, I will do it. So a question to us this Christmas season is, Are we by our actions showing that we will do his will? Jesus said, I have come but to do the will of my Father who sent me. And that same Father commissions us to do his will. So let's notice some things here. First of all, the angel in the dream calls to Joseph and he calls him the son of David. And he says, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And, the, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by, uh, of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You know, there is a greater significance to Joseph naming Jesus than simply putting the name on a birth certificate. You see, as Joseph went through the process for the Jewish culture of naming Jesus, he was doing the same thing roughly that Boaz did in the book of Ruth. See, when, when, when Obed was born, Boaz was the biological father, but there was a cultural thing that said the firstborn from this new union would actually be a part of Elimelech's family. And that Boaz was raising up seed for, for Ruth's family, that he was benefiting the family that Ruth came out of, he bought the land. He was the kinsman redeemer to continue the line. But he assumed the responsibility for Obed and for Ruth and for Naomi. In a similar way, by naming Jesus, this was not Joseph's flesh and bone, but he was taking responsibility for him and he was in effect saying, this is my legal son, and whatever you want to do to me because I've chosen to do this, go ahead and do it, because I'm going to raise him as my own. I don't think we fully comprehend what that meant. Joseph was a carpenter. Do you think anybody wanted to do business with a carpenter whose wife was unfaithful to him? Do you think that it was easy to have a carpentry shop when you were always traveling at the behest of God to different places? I don't think so. 
And yet, Joseph did it. Let's look. Um, at Psalm 25, 8, and 9. Psalm 25, 8, and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, will he keep sinners in the way. The meek will be, he will guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Joseph was ready to be taught in the way of God. Joseph was a sinner. He wasn't perfect, but he was ready to be taught by God. I'm reminded of the example of Samuel in the Old Testament. He's laying there one night and he hears this voice, Samuel! Samuel! And he thinks it's Eli, so he gets up, runs to Eli, and Eli says, it wasn't me, lay back down. And then a few minutes later, he hears this voice, Samuel! Samuel! He runs back to Eli and he says, I know that you called me, Eli. There's no one else here. And Eli recognizes at that point, it's the voice of God. If he calls to you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. And of course, Samuel had to deliver some really uh, devastating news to Eli. It's interesting, the next morning, Eli said, Whatever God said, tell me what it is. Don't leave out a single word. Imagine how nerve-wracking that must have been. But we see in Joseph somebody who was willing to take the responsibility to do that which the Lord had asked him to do. And that's why the Lord is here talking to Joseph. That's why he chose Joseph and Mary, because they were his willing servants. Mary too, I mean, imagine how scared she was. She said, Lord, let it be according to your word. She didn't say choose someone else. She didn't say, well, my, my life is planned, Lord. I, I have a plan, and, and this is not part of it. She just said, let it be according to your word. So, we've seen Joseph as a godly pursuer and tender applier of truth. We are told by God to speak the truth in love, and definitely Joseph did that acted in, in love when he did the truth. And then we see Joseph patiently pondering his actions. And as he's patient, as he's waiting on God, then God speaks. I think sometimes we are so active, we are so eager to do the next thing that we don't take enough time to be still and know that he is God. I know I've been guilty of that. What an example Joseph is. And then uh, I just have this story to share. The late Dr. Jowett said he was once in a most pitiful perplexity and consulted Dr. Barry of Wolverhampton. What would you do if you were in my place? He entreated, I don't know, Jowett. I am not there, and you are not there yet. When have you to act? 
On Friday, Dr. Jowett said, Then, answered Barry, you will find your way perfectly clear on Friday. The Lord will not fail you. And true enough, on Friday, all was plain. One of the greatest and wisest of all Queen Victoria's diplomats has left it on record that it became an inveterate habit of his mind never to allow, to allow any opinion on any subject to crystallize until it became necessary to arrive at a practical decision. Give God time, and even when the knife flashes in the air, the ram will be seen caught in the thicket. Give God time, and even when Pharaoh's host is on Israel's hills, a path through the waters will be suddenly open. Give God time, and when the bed of the brook is dry, Elijah shall hear the guiding voice. Moses, or um, Joseph, gave God time. I'm sure he was praying. I'm sure he was praying. And God gave him the answer. Fear not to take unto you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. What a blessing. And one of the biggest confirmations for them as a couple is that that was what that was the exact message that Mary got. So now Joseph has the message that Mary had. This to me is a good lesson for couples too, because I think sometimes when one person in a couple feels strongly called to some sort of ministry work or whatever, they tend to want to just drag their spouse along because they think they have to do the right thing regardless. But I believe that God gave you your spouse, that if he has a spouse for me in the future, he will give me a spouse that will enable me to do his work more effectively. The only way we can work effectively, the only way we can impact culture effectively today is to have husbands and wives that work together, that show the mystery of Christ in his church. Because that is truly what marriage is all about. Too often today, two individuals enter a marriage and they leave the wedding just as individual as they were when they came in. And then they butt heads and butt heads until they suddenly can't stand it anymore. And they have to leave. The Bible says... The two shall be one. And what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. This mandate to raise the Son of God was not something that one parent could do. It was something that two parents needed to do. And so God gave the same message to two people and he unified them in it. What a powerful picture that is for us. <clears throat> the final point is if you're taking notes Joseph promptly obeyed God he didn't say God uh, give me a few months to think about this I'll get, I'll get back to you by the end of the pregnancy he didn't say that Matthew 1 24 to 28 uh, Matthew 1, 
Matthew 1, 24 and 25. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. So Joseph... I can almost see him getting up out of his bed the next morning. Perhaps running over to Mary's first thing, knocking on the door. Saying, Mary, I believe you. God spoke to me and this wedding is going to happen. And knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. You know, There are some traditions that believe Mary was perpetually a virgin. I don't think the Bible teaches this. But Joseph exercised the self-control to wait until after Jesus was born before they were intimately involved. And it was pointed out in something I read this week that that was not an explicit command of God But because Joseph was a man of integrity, a man that wanted to be above board in everything he did, because he didn't want anybody to ever be able to say, this is your child, ironically they still would, because they said later when he started his ministry, is not this Joseph's son? And are not his brothers and sisters still with us? But because he cared more about God and doing God's will than his own flesh, he refrained, he abstained until after Jesus was born. There is significance there. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. God wants us all to be self-controlled, especially if we're going to lead other people. That's convicting to me. Very much so. But I also, as I talked about earlier, God spoke to Joseph several times. And so I want to look at those other dreams. So if someone could look at Matthew 2.13, Matthew 2.19 and 20, in Matthew 2, 22 and 23. Let's start with Matthew 2, 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child and destroy him. So taking these one by one. So first of all, Joseph is said, told, Marry this woman, she is not sinning. Marry her, take her as your wife, have no fear. And the next thing he knows, after I, after the wise men hear about um, the plan to kill Jesus, and they go another way, then the angel comes to Joseph and says, Oh, by the way, Joseph, I know you're sleeping soundly, I know you have a lot of business interests right now, but go swiftly to Egypt flee 
because the child's life is in danger. And again, Joseph doesn't say, let me um, get all my work done, let me schedule some, reschedule some things, and then I'll get back to you. No, he immediately rises up. I, I believe he woke Mary up that very instant and said, let's go, we've got to go to Egypt. Because it was that urgent. These people wanted to kill Jesus. And Joseph had pledged that he would protect him. And so they left and went. And of course, I believe that the gifts of the Magi, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, probably helped them while they were in Egypt. But first this guy, first this child made you somewhat of an instant father and gave you that responsibility right off the bat, plus he's, gonna, plus he's the son of God, now he's causing you to flee into foreign lands. And all because God chose you to be his stepfather. Let's look at the next passage, the next dream. Um, Matthew 2, 19 and 20. So again, he gets a directive from God. And God says, take the young child and go. And um, verse 21, which I probably should have included, says, And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And then finally in the uh, third passage is passage of his obedience to God Matthew 2 22 and 23 Jesus said to them take the And there's another passage where it talks about how Jesus would be called a Nazarene. They would end up dwelling in Nazareth, and even that was a fulfillment of God's word, God's promise. So you see here, not once, but four times God says, Joseph, do this thing, and Joseph does it. You, you want God to have you do more for him? Then the next time he says, hey, do this thing, you better do it. So often we, and I'm pointing at myself as I say this, so often we say, God, I, I want to do something big for you. And he says, well, did you love your neighbor today? Did you love your wife today? Did you love your sister today? Did you obey the traffic laws? 
Did you work at your employer without grumbling? If we are to do big things for God, we must do the little things well. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament. We like to think about him becoming the governor of all of Egypt, but before that, he was in a pit. After the pit, he was a slave. After he ascended to a high place as a slave, he was put in prison. And once again, given leadership. And then after being in prison for about seven years, because he asked, remember he asked the baker, he said, or no, it was the cupbearer. He asked the cupbearer, he said, you're going to be restored to your position. When you get back to the king, Tell him about me, because I'm here, and I'm innocent, and I've done nothing wrong. And it says these words, but the baker, or but the cupbearer, forgot him. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big thing to forget. Um, I was uh, somewhere yesterday, and I had to go from one floor of the building to the bottom floor of the building and I told my sister, I said, make sure you're down there to open the door for me. I can't open the door. I need you to open the door for me or I'll be sitting in the cold. And I said, don't get distracted. Don't forget. But this is a a bigger thing than that. Because we're talking about being in an Egyptian prison which is probably like a large dungeon And yet God was with Joseph because he gave him leadership in the prison. How would you like to be the other prisoners? This this prisoner gets tossed down with you guys and all of a sudden he's in charge of you. But that's what God had planned for Joseph. So that when he pulled him out and when he made him governor of Egypt, he was ready to be governor of Egypt. Why? Because he had a resume. He had a resume that said, I am ready to be the governor of Egypt. And not because of me. Joseph was humble. The the king said, we've heard that you you can interpret dreams. And he said, I can't. But there is a God in Israel. He will give you the interpretation of the dream. And um, so... As we are looking at Joseph, we can see what God can do through someone who is dedicated to doing his will. Joseph must have been a really special guy to just be willing to uproot his family so many times on one word from God that it needed to be done, and yet he did it. Somewhere I read a little story of a child in a woodland camp whose father sent him with a letter to a village pointing out a trail over which the lad had never gone before. All right, father, but I don't see how that path will ever reach the town, said the boy. Do you see the trail as far as the big tree down there, answered the man. Oh, yes, I see that far. Well, when you get there by that tree, you'll see the trail a little further ahead, and so on until you get within sight of our of the houses of the village. There is 
there is in our pilgrimage of faith an element of sheer faith not seeing. So often, I don't know about you, but I, I want to see five steps ahead. I want to say, okay, Lord, you have me here, but there's still this goal out here. There's still this dream that I believe you have given me. When is it going to come to pass? And when I get anxious about that, it helps me to remember about Abraham. You realize when he was 75 years old, God said, I'm going to give you a son. It's going to be your own heir. It's going to be from your own loins. And it wasn't for another about 25 years. When Abraham was 100 and Sarah was like 91, that this happened. It was impossible to happen, but it happened. So, may we all be encouraged by that. I'm going to try to sing this song. Um, We'll see how good it goes. This is an old Michael Card song. um, And it's called Simply Joseph's Song. It kind of looks at things from Joseph's perspective. And um, I hope it will encourage you. How could it be this baby in my arms Sleeping now so peacefully the Son of God, the angel said, How could it be? Lord, I know he's not my own, not of my flesh, not of my bone. Still, Father, let this baby be. The son of my love. Father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the son of God? Lord, for all my life I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? How can I raise a king? He looks so small, his face and hands so fair. And when he cries, the sun just seems to disappear. But when he laughs, it shines again. How could it be? Father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the Son of God? Lord, for all my life I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? How can I raise a king? How could it be 
this baby in arms, sleeping now so peacefully. The Son of God, the angels said, how could it be? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Joseph and for his example to us. Lord, we pray that we would learn from it. We thank you that um, a Bible character, a true person, can speak volumes without saying a word. And we pray that our lives would be that way, that we would speak volumes before we ever said a word. But that we would also say the words that you have for us to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would be glad to.